Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello. Welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. In this episode, we take a look at the world of LiDAR. And we also talk to BlackBerry about the company's Ivy platform. BlackBerry Ivy is BlackBerry's intelligent vehicle data platform, co-developed with Amazon Web Services. At CES 2022 in Las Vegas, made its first demonstration on physical hardware, with the aim of showing how AI-based decisions being made by BlackBerry Ivy would impact in-car experiences and how it would look for drivers and passengers through a physical car dashboard. In the second segment of this show, you can hear more of my interview with BlackBerry on this. But first, I'll be talking to the CEO of Velodyne LiDAR, who used CES to update media on the company. Before we get to that, some background. LiDAR has been covered extensively in Embedded.com in recent weeks, as all the vendors look to make LiDAR more ubiquitous in every vertical, whether it's automotive or in smart cities. For example, in December, we looked at Silk Technologies' new FMCW LiDAR transceivers, which it said is the first commercially available chip-integrated FMCW LiDAR sensor to deliver coherent 3D vision. Its Ionic Vision Sensor is a compact vision sensor which is said to provide accurate, instantaneous depth, velocity, and dual polarization intensity information while enabling immunity to multi-user and environmental interference. And soon after that, a spin-out from the Columbia University of New York with silicon photonics expertise has led to some early work in delivering a LiDAR on chip that could pave the way for large-scale adoption of 3D sensing in the same way that CMOS image sensors enable the accelerated growth of digital photography. That's the claim from Voyant Photonics, which has developed a complete LiDAR system in a field-deployable package using patented techniques for on-chip digital beam steering, optical signal processing, and laser control. And then in January, we talked to Lumotive, who have defined an open LiDAR API to allow application developers, perception software developers, and LiDAR hardware developers to use a common and future-proof interface for software-defined LiDAR. It hopes to accelerate the adoption of what it calls LiDAR 2.0, software-defined LiDAR enabling scalable, ubiquitous, and lowest-cost 3D sensing. So let's talk first to Ted Tewksbury, the very recently appointed CEO at Velodyne LiDAR. Ted, tell us a little bit about the developments in the world of LiDAR. Well, it's a, it's a very exciting time for the LiDAR industry. Uh, LiDAR, as you know, is a key enabling technology for autonomous mobility, and it's going to be an, an enormous market. Uh, LiDAR brings benefits in terms of safety, sustainability, and efficiency to a, to a wide range of applications, everything from autonomous vehicles to industrial and robotics to smart cities and, and many other uh, applications. So I'm I'm very bullish on LiDAR in general. 
right now we're at an inflection point where we're starting to see the first R&D projects come out of R&D and go into pre-production and then very shortly into full production. We have, as of now, over 200 projects in our pipeline and uh, 35 of those are are multi-year agreements. And so having some of those start to move into production is a very exciting time. What are your strongest areas? We see a lot of competitors who are developing singular products uh, for very specific applications and use cases. And and the most popular one that you see out there is automotive uh, and ADAS. And we we are also very interested in ADAS. But what we see is that the the L2 plus and the L3 and, and higher levels of ADAS continue to push out for a variety of reasons. So so we're really focused on near-term opportunities in what we see to be an enormous market that's largely being ignored by other uh, competitors out there. And in uh, industrial and robotics, we're seeing a, a drive to implement more robots on, on the factory floor and on the warehouse floor in order to move goods uh, very efficiently around uh, to enable better social distancing, uh, help alleviate you know, the worker shortage and uh, the supply chain issues. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of interest in LIDAR-based automation uh, on ship cranes and helping uh, ships get to, get to a dock, navigate safely to the dock, load and unload. And then uh, we're seeing last mile delivery vehicles that, that get the goods from the warehouse to the consumer's front door. These societal challenges like mm. the supply chain shortage and COVID are really driving demand in, in the warehouse and industrial and robotics markets in the near term here. And certainly I mentioned intelligent infrastructure for smart cities. This is a really exciting one because what we can do with LIDAR is position one simple sensor at an intersection and take a, a real-time three-dimensional map of roads and traffic conditions and then use that information and it allows municipalities to understand traffic safety issues, analyze near misses, use that information to uh, to help prevent accidents uh, going forward. Also by streamlining the flow of traffic through intersections, reducing congestion, we can re- reduce greenhouse gases, improve air quality and so forth. We have a partnership with a company called Blue City that provides software that pairs with our sensors and enables us to provide a full solution for those kinds of applications. We have uh, program rollouts, pilot programs in Irvine, California, in Austin, Texas, and San Jose. And we're seeing a lot of momentum there, which will be catalyzed by the infrastructure bill that was recently passed. So that's that's the second one. And then autonomous vehicles, particularly robo-taxis, autonomous shuttles, uh, we're, we're seeing very strong traction for our devices. And then very importantly, it, we have software and, and we're continuing to improve our existing software, which is called Vela, in order to provide more advanced perception capabilities and turn that, that point cloud, that raw data that comes out of the sensors into actionable information that can be used by our customers uh, to help autonomous vehicles make, make intelligent decisions and improve safety. So, so these areas are really what's driving growth. So now you recently joined. What was the thing that attracted you to Belladine? You know, at Ada Compute, 
I spent a lot of time looking at, at camera-based technologies and, and immersing myself in AI and ML and uh, spent a, a very successful two years at Ada Compute, put in place uh, a, a great product portfolio, very, a battery-powered AI vision module and set the company in the right direction. And that company will be extremely successful under, under the new leadership there. But Velodyne came along. And as I mentioned to you, I am bullish on the LiDAR market in general. I think it, it is going to transform society in multiple ways in terms of safety, sustainability, and, and efficiency. And the reason I, I chose Velodyne specifically is, is because of some of the factors that I mentioned earlier. Um, the company is really the best position for success. Uh, we've got a very strong bench on, on both the technical and the management side. And we really are the only company, the only LiDAR company out there that, that is at critical mass and able to uh, ship product in volume and at, and at high quality levels. There's so many LiDAR players at the moment. What do you see your specific USP? So th there are many approaches to developing LiDAR. The basic idea of our time of flight LiDAR is to e emit a, a, a pulse of, of light, bounces off the object, measure the time of flight back, and uh, you know, velocity times time equals distance. So you get an immediate uh, representation of the lo three-dimensional location of an object. Now, there are other methods that, that have been proposed, including you know, phased array, there's FMCW, there's uh, flash technologies and so forth. But, and, and there's also a, a number of imitators that have come along and tried to copy our version of the rotational LIDAR using time of flight. Mm. Typically, the, the, when we see competitors or imitators out there, and you know, you know what they say, imitation is the best form of flattery, we must be doing something right. But uh, typically, they will, they will pick a, a one, one specification or one parameter and try to improve it, whether, whether it's range, resolution, accuracy, what have you. But as you know, in, in any engineering design, there are trade-offs. And when you, when you optimize one of those parameters at the expense of the others, you don't always wind up with a solution that's the best tailored for the customer's application. So we, we feel that we have come up with the optimal uh, trade-off of parameters. We're able to see uh, objects at a distance of say 300 meters within an accuracy of a few centimeters. We've also been able to achieve the highest power efficiency of any of the other LiDAR uh, manufacturers out there. In fact, up to 35% better, which, which is really important, especially if you think about electric vehicles that extend your range and, um, and the time between charges. So uh, there, there have been a lot of proposed alternative architectures. Many of them are just promises in PowerPoint, you know, to be quite frank. So one of our biggest advantages is the fact that not only have we achieved the optimal performance for our customers' applications, but we also have real product uh, that we can ship in volume at quality at the right quality levels to customers today. You know, going forward, we have a number of uh, new architectures in development, and, um, and you'll see those uh, over the next year or two. And then secondly, on the technology, I, I should also emphasize that what we sell is not just a LiDAR sensor. What we sell is a solution to our okay. customer. What, what our customers ultimately care about, uh, who are building autonomous vehicles, who need to see and understand the environment, 
uh, is they want to know where an object is, what it is, where it's going, and they want to use that information to be able to make intelligent decisions about where that object should go next in order to keep people safe and avoid collisions. So, so the software component is extremely important. In addition to providing perception, our software provides a seamless user experience. It makes it very easy for customers to take our, our devices, plug and play in their applications and get something up and running very quickly, which accelerates their time to market which in turn accelerates our time to revenue. What are your biggest uh, challenges and opportunities in 2022? Great question, Nitin. And you know, I think the, the supply chain challenges are, are something that impacts all companies in the industry. Yep. Um, and and it, is a, it is a real challenge that's been exacerbated by COVID. However, I think that because of some of the design decisions that Velodyne has made, we are actually better positioned to, to weather that storm than some of our competitors. The technology we use uses an iSafe 905 nanometer laser technology, which can be accommodated with a conventional CMOS, ASICs, and, and circuitry, which is readily available in the industry. Some of our competitors who have chosen 1550 nanometer need 3,5 semiconductor compounds like indium gallium arsenide, which are much more constrained and, and limited supplies. So, you know, you know some of the, the decisions we have made actually puts us in a, an advantageous position with respect to supply chain. Are there any specific um, issues around uh, LIDAR in automotive and ADAS, Ted? So I, you know, I think we are aligned with the rest of the industry in uh, appreciating the fact that LIDAR is going to be a key enabling technology for ADAS long-term. The, um, the, the functional safety levels and the, the error rates that are required in automotive are such that uh, I, we, and I think the rest of the industry is coming to the conclusion that uh, it, it cannot be accommodated by cameras and radar alone, you know, we, that LIDAR will be required. However, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the price points do need to come down. There are some things that we're doing uh, in the interim to accelerate the adoption of LIDAR in automotive applications. For example, we're working very closely with government agencies, such as the Department of, of Transportation, uh, the National Highway uh, Traffic and Safety Administration uh, and the Intelligent Transportation uh, Society of America to, to advance regulations that would require LIDAR as an essential sensor in ADAS and, and AVs to, to enhance safety. Um, we're also working with organizations like SAE to implement ratings on ADAS that would require measurement of uh, ADAS systems under low light and dark conditions. And, and the reason for that is that data from the, the Highway Safety Improvement Program has shown that most uh, of the traffic fatalities that occur, occur at night. Actually, it turns out that in the first half of 2021, eight, there were 18% increase in traffic fatalities over the same six month period last year. And of those, about 76% of the pedestrian fatalities happened at night and under low light condition. Now, very interestingly, it turns out that women and, and people of color 
are, are represented disproportionately in that data by a factor of about two to one higher fatalities than white-skinned people. Now, the data, that's the, what the data says. And I don't think anybody completely understands uh, why that is. Uh, it could be because of, of lower infrastructure, uh, more inferior infrastructure in, in the portions of, of the city where, where those people reside. But, but for that reason, there are, there are equity, very strong equity arguments to implement LIDAR in, in ADAS uh, systems. And so all, all of these arguments, we're, we're working very closely with congressional leaders, public policymakers, and government agencies, as I mentioned, in order to make sure that LIDAR is required as part of ADAS systems. So there's a big opportunity there. Ed, thank you very much. Thank you, Nitin. Now we turn to Sarah Tatsis, Senior Vice President for the Ivy Platform Development at BlackBerry, to learn more about BlackBerry Ivy and their demo at CES. Hello, Sarah. So tell me a little bit about BlackBerry Ivy. Yeah, BlackBerry Ivy is a co-development initiative with AWS. BlackBerry is creating an intelligent vehicle data platform, which essentially takes uh, and normalizes all the data from various sensors within a vehicle and provides a platform for running machine learning and other algorithms within the vehicle that can then provide insights to either local applications or up into the cloud. And how will this be different from what we've seen of the various connected cloud platforms so far? Yeah, so BlackBerry Ivy is an edge-first implementation. Uh, So this is really around providing middleware (laughs) vehicle um, that does the hardware abstraction and then enables, uh, again, the running of machine learning and other algorithms in the vehicle. Now, in terms of Uh, what differentiates that from other uh, implementations. Most automakers are doing something similar, although for very specific experiences that they're already putting into their connected vehicles. What we're providing is a scalable platform that can be uh, implemented across various vehicle makes and models, which also very much reduces the developer friction for creating new experiences in the vehicle. So in other words, over time, you could add new insights being generated within BlackBerry Ivy that power new applications over the lifetime of a vehicle. We are also, and and probably not not a surprise, but BlackBerry is very heavily uh, investing in the security, reliability, and safety of, of BlackBerry Ivy as well, with the knowledge that this is going into a vehicle and therefore requires that high level of uh, performance and uh, reliability as well. At at, uh, CES, uh, you were showing various demos, and I think the first ever uh, demo of this on a a car platform. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, sure. So um, at CES, we are showing uh, BlackBerry Ivy working on an NXP IMAX 8 hardware board. Now, Ivy itself actually is platform and operating system agnostic. So you can actually put this on any automotive grade hardware um, and also on top of any operating system that's working in a vehicle. We are, we are also um, showcasing uh, this working on, on a Linux, a Linux uh, operating system. 
And then from a digital cockpit perspective, we're actually integrated into KPIT's digital cockpit. Um, so within the within the vehicle, uh, essentially, it's it's using the KPIT technologies cockpit to op- to um, consume the insights that are coming from from Ivy. Um, within Ivy itself, we've implemented multiple um, synthetic sensors, is what we're calling them, but it's essentially machine learning models and algorithms that take real uh, vehicle data and then provide these really interesting insights. So our what we're showcasing at CES is one specific version of what you could do with IV related to EV vehicles. And it's focused on a use case around um, uh, a family that's essentially taking a trip to the beach and wants to use, basically wants to reduce their range anxiety of their EV vehicle and also make use of all these other great experiences. So the technology that we have in there, for instance, we are showcasing Car IQ technology, which essentially enables in-vehicle payments. We are showcasing here technologies, which is providing things like point of interest or let's say pricing and availability of vehicle charge stop locations. Um, also making recommendations on more efficient routes. We're all we are also showcasing Electra's EVA AI. 360 adaptive control solutions. And that's really focused on getting a better and more accurate prediction of battery state of charge, as well as range based on the type of driver that is driving and also provides them personalization. So there's quite a bit actually being showcased as part of this, but in general, what's happening is we're we're sending trip data, a real live trip from Italy through the uh, through the hardware, through our software. And then based on the data that's flowing through, the machine learning models essentially kick in. They do things like recognize the occupant. They do things like create a, a better prediction on the battery range. And then they provide that insight into the digital, the application that's running in the digital cockpit and uh, are essentially able to uh, showcase how a family could use this on, on this trip. Let's go to the, um, the OEMs and the, the developers. What's the, what are the big challenges that you think they have in enabling this kind of capabilities? Yeah, I think there's, there's a number of things. So first of all, it where we're focused is on creating the platform so that automakers can make use of this platform and they can focus their resources on either creating these new revenue generating experiences and providing more value essentially to their customers, as well as uh, potentially cost reduction initiatives for things like implementation of various fleet, predictive maintenance type of applications and those type of things. So what we're essentially doing is we're creating this platform that they can then build upon. And the core tenants of uh, BlackBerry Ivy is that we make this very developer friendly so that we can, you don't have to be a general embedded developer necessarily to be able to make these great new insights available to vehicle applications or up into the cloud. We're also focused on the deployment of, of these models. So from the cloud to the vehicle, so that over time you can add new computation, new machine learning algorithms to your vehicle. And, and so I think that that is quite, quite a unique thing as well. We're focused very much on getting abstracting away all of the hardware uniqueness of a vehicle, um, as well as kind of operating system uniqueness so that when a developer comes in, whether they're working on a certain 
one certain vehicle maker model or another, they're able to essentially deploy the same machine learning models, the same algorithms, um, and have it work across various makes and models as well. So rather than having kind of one implementation for one vehicle make and model, this gives that scalability across makes and models as well. And you can engage a broader development, software development uh, pool, because you've taken away the need to have these really in-depth knowledge of how each vehicle uh, sensors have been implemented. So that, that is, is where we're essentially focusing the value of Ivy. The uh, BlackBerry Ivy needs to be deployed into a vehicle. So it will be okay. running in the edge. Because one of the key things here is that this is an edge-first implementation. So we're actually enabling real-time computation in the vehicle, um, which is great for, for things like, for, very, for certain applications, as well as things like privacy and reduction of cost of sending all that data up into a cloud because you're essentially needing to then have this huge data pipe that's sending all your data through up into the cloud. So Ivy will utilize what's already there, but automakers are already adding quite a bit more computation into their uh, software yeah, architectures. Yeah. Um, so really, uh, this is domain agnostic. So you could implement it in various different domains within within the vehicle. But yeah, the computation that we're that we're looking for here is to to run in vehicle. So Sarah, what else do you see uh, in terms of you know the connected car ecosystems, and what do you think? What are the sort of scenarios and sort of vision that you might see for connected cars? I'd say there's three things. The first is I do think we'll see a lot more intelligence at the edge. So in vehicle intelligence itself, as the software defined vehicle becomes more of a reality, more computation at the edge becomes more of a reality. And I think the that intelligence too, you know, the cloud connectivity piece of this will continue to grow. And as part of that as well, that need for that highly scalable, reliable and performance system. So I think that's one, so more intelligence at the edge. I think two is we will see an increased, and we're already seeing it, increased focus on cybersecurity and safety requirements. And and just how that gets, how various software components get implemented within a vehicle. We've seen this in other other areas outside of automotive. And now as cars start to have things like payment systems attached to them, they become higher, higher value targets from a cybersecurity perspective. So a lot more focus on cybersecurity and on safety requirements as, as kind of a, let's say, a, a lead to that. And then I think the third area is there is a need and I think a, a really powerful want to reduce developer friction in the connected vehicle space. There is a, a software development shortage out there. So essentially, mm. how do we enable all this great future of connected vehicles? The only way to do that, in my view, is to have easy, deployable SDKs that developers can um, develop new insights and applications for, for the vehicle without needing to be, again, in this really deep embedded uh, automotive space. So that ease of development needs to continue and, you know, that, that focus on making vehicles better over time so that when you're driving your vehicle off the lot, it's not now technical debt. It's actually something that gets better over time um, rather than being obsolete the moment you come off the come off the lot. So I think it, from my perspective, I think those are kind of three key areas. So in more intelligence at the edge, 
more security and safety. And the third really is that need to reduce developer friction. Well, Sarah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So that brings us to the end of this episode. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin. I'm Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening.